Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eatmore SK on Camden Chat. It's July the 15th, 2012. The Orioles have just lost two out of three games against the Detroit Tigers. Well, that's not too surprising, I'd guess. But I'm here tonight to talk a little surprise podcast. We weren't expecting to record one tonight with my partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? Well, you know, the good news about this weekend was uh, you and I both got to see the one really good game in person. Andrew and I had our exciting moment on Saturday because we met up a little before the game and we were walking over to Pickles right by the stadium, right as the Orioles players and legends were exiting from the Jim Palmer ceremony. So I think we very nearly like bumped shoulders with Nick Barkakis and Adam (laughs) Jones because... Just like two guys were walking by us, and we were like, what the heck is going on? And then somebody around us was like, dude, that's Adam Jones! And then I looked around, and I was like, whoa, okay, that was Adam Jones. And then it was like uh, Adam Jones and Nick Marcakis and Miguel Gonzalez and Darren O'Day and one other guy just piled in. Troy into Patton. A big, Troy, it was, you couldn't remember Troy Well, Patton there was a shocker. I forgot Troy Patton, who doesn't exist. Boy, that is like a self-fulfilling. So all those guys prophecy. piled into the golf cart and were driven off to the clubhouse or whatever. So we ended up hanging around there, and uh, and then Earl and Brooks and Eddie came out and got a nice round of applause. Brooks looked good. Yeah, he uh, considering he had missed the last couple, he looked better than I expected him to. He was moving on his own power, and hopefully he's okay. This is a very, very nice ceremony. Um, I got down there a little before you and was listening to it, and uh, was listening to it on the radio on the drive down. And uh, they had, like, Kenny Singleton was out there talking uh, about his old manager, Earl Weaver, and his old uh, teammate, Jim Palmer, and... It was just it was very pleasant. And then uh, Jim Palmer started talking about Mike Flanagan, and it got, uh, well, it, it got pretty touching. I didn't get to hear the parts where he mentioned all the Flanagan stories. I read, like, on Twitter that he made several references, and, you know, that's nice. Nice he did Yeah. That. You know, the whole thing, I think, these statues are really nice, but but way more than that, it's it's really cool that, the Orioles have six Hall of Famers, and they're all still alive. And they can all still come and tell stories about this team. And obviously, I wasn't around for when any of these guys were playing um, so far. You know, some yeah. of the late ones, obviously. But uh, it's really, really cool just to listen to like Ken Singleton talk about his first game and, and Jim Palmer talking about funny stories with Mike Flanagan and uh, and trading from Mike Cuellar and, and all these, these Orioles, many of whom unfortunately aren't with us anymore. Yeah, it's definitely good they did it this year before the yeah. Hall of Famers themselves had started to, you know, pass on, which would be, I mean, it'll be sad when it happens, but it's nice they all will, well, hopefully, fingers crossed, they all will get to, you know, be a part of their their statue ceremony before that happens, as I'm sure. Even with their playing days long gone, this still got to be pretty special for all those guys. It's it's just a tremendous celebration of the Orioles. And, you know, we started at the beginning of the year writing about the 1997 season because it's cool to celebrate these old cool things that happened. Yeah, that series is funny. We we wanted to keep keep at that because we were like, well, the Orioles will be bad again this year, so let's write this remembering the last good year. And then... When they've actually been successful, we didn't want to keep being Debbie Downers all the time. But unfortunately, maybe it looks like we'll pick that back up because things are looking a little bit grim for the Orioles uh, right now. Not least of which because in Friday's game, Jason Hamill had a further injury to that right knee and is going to be out for about a month because he's got to get cartilage scraped away from his knee or something. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. pretty gross. Well, that that, that is not like a complicated surgery, no. getting your knee scoped. But I mean, there's just no way that you're not going to miss at least four weeks. Yeah, that's they were saying. After. You know, hopefully he's back in a month. But then again, I mean, Nick Markakis was going <laughs> right. to be gone for three weeks for his broken hammock bone, and come on. That's exactly what I was thinking. So I mean, it's not like there's no precedent for the Orioles being uh, overly optimistic with injury recovery and of course 
Jason Hamill to date has been the best pitcher for the Orioles, both in terms of eating, one of the best pitchers, period, eating innings and actually performing at a above average or better level in the, in you know the American League. So suddenly, the rotation is Wei and Chen, and a whole lot of question marks because yeah. we're looking ahead. And tomorrow, that is Monday, Chris Tillman is getting called back up, and who knows what he's going to do. The day after that, Zach Britton is getting called up, and who really knows what he's going to do. And the day after that, well, we don't really know, but the the word on today, Sunday, was that five runs all earned Tommy Hunter would be getting that start because... They didn't want to have Brian Mattis come back up after just one AAA start, which, good, because Brian Mattis needs to stew a AAA a little bit longer. Certainly. But So so your starting rotation is those, those three guys, and then Chen, and Miguel Gonzalez, who maybe will actually be kind of solid back into the rotation. In today's Sunday's game, he really didn't look bad. He gave up the one home run to... Austin Jackson lead off the game, and there was really only one hard hit out of all the other hits they got off of him. Like there was a, what was it like Don Kelly doubled just out of the reach of Mark Reynolds' glove down the first baseline. Well, there's a shocking phrase, right? But <laughs> past the diving mark. There was a lot of the hits that he gave up were like the you know a seeing eye grounder that was the play Robert Andino got hurt on and. If Nick Markakis was the Nick Markakis of old, he would have thrown Prince Fielder out at the plate by like a mile anyway. And then it was just like flares and cheap hits. Babbitt to death. Yeah, it really was a a Babbitt to death kind of game for him other than the Austin Jackson home run. So, you know, maybe he'll do okay. Because the Tigers and the Angels, the two teams he pitched against, not exactly slouches. So, hey, more power to Miguel Gonzalez. He even pitched through the adversity of having his uniform name misspelled in the first inning today because they had an S at the end of his name instead of a Z only for the first inning and they fixed it in the second inning and suddenly he had oh, Gonzalez with a Z nice. for the remainder of the game. At least they, they corrected their mistake. Well, like I joked on Twitter, if only the Orioles could fix all their other <laughs> problems yeah, right. as fast as they could fix that. So really it's a whole lot of uncertainty now that Hamill's out and you, you just have to cross your fingers and hope at least one of those guys, other than Chen and even Gonzalez, is just decent. It's, I mean, we've seen Tommy Hunter's not going to be decent no matter what at the major league level. So Tillman and Britton, between the two of them, maybe we'll get one more decent guy and hang in there. I don't know. No, neither do I. Um, I guess the good news, it's definitely not going to be Dana Evelyn. That's true. Dana Evelyn, designated for assignment. He is, uh, he's out of here for now, perhaps for the duration. And no offense to Dana Evelyn or any relatives of Dana Evelyn who may find themselves listening to the podcast, but I'm not going to miss him that much. So, yeah. you know. I mean, he's fringy swing starter. It's just how it goes for those guys, unfortunately. So one player the Orioles have actually gotten back from injury is Nick Markakis, who has returned and immediately been slotted into the leadoff spot, which, as much was made, he had never batted leadoff before Friday's game. Yeah, and as it turns out, batting leadoff, not that different from just batting anywhere else. Right, because as they're they're saying, you're only going to be leadoff once a game, and after that it's just you know a fluke of who's gotten on base and who hasn't. Yeah, you know, we. I don't know who exactly tries to like build up the leadoff spot. Is this you have to do specific things and make the pitcher work and draw walks and, and blah 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 blah. Because you got to do all of those things no matter where you bat. Right. If it's you're a baseball like, player who bats, you want to do all those things. It's not like there's bonus points for doing it when you're batting at the top of the lineup. Achievement so only- unlocked. Leadoff walk. The only difference the leadoff hitter has over any other hitter uh, is he goes up more. He, he gets more plate appearances. So you want a guy who's a really good hitter batting leadoff. And 
That's Nick Marcakis. I mean, he, you know, he's uh, flawed. He's never going to be the guy that that I certainly hope the Orioles were signing to that big contract. But he's still a good hitter. And uh, and he's probably the best guy to plug in in that spot out of anybody on the team. Right. You know, he's got one of the higher on-base percentages on the team, as sad as it is to, to right, say that. Right, because his is only like 333 or right. something. It's not exactly lighting the world on fire. It's exactly 333 after his 0 for 4 today. You know, um, I, was, I, I was thinking that it's really very sad that Brian Roberts fought all the way back and then just was... He, he looked overmatched, for one thing, and then what, he hurt his hip. Yeah, it wasn't even like he got done in by the concussion stuff again. It was just, you know, an injury you're going to get when you're a baseball player and you're 34, 35 years old. So now he is aging on on its own, regardless of injuries. He has a bad head, he has a bad back, and he has a bad hip. Isn't there something with his neck also? Uh, Well, back, neck. Neck, back, all the same. Yeah, yeah. so... uh, he, it is, it's very frustrating and sad for me to watch this guy who was really, really good, like, not that long ago, um, go through all these things. But I think it is uh, really easy to see the silver lining for the Orioles, where now you can't ever count on Brian Roberts coming back. You can't just find a stopgap leadoff hitter like Andy Chavez as terrible an idea as that was to begin with, or Robert Andino, who was an equally terrible idea. Now they really need to focus on finding a guy who can be that leadoff hitter and is not overwhelmed or intimidated by whatever a leadoff hitter, quote-unquote, is supposed to or not supposed to do. Well, it's okay, it Andrew, because like, remember, Dan Duquette is out looking through the trade market to get a high OBP guy to plug in the top of the I lineup. Sure so. So. I sure hope so. So you know. He's got um, it under control. But, I mean, it looks like Nick Workake is going to be that guy. And it looks like he, you know, he had three doubles on the Saturday. And, Career uh, high, as the Jumbotron reminded us yeah. on several occasions. So, it looks like they, they kind of got the guy that I thought all along should be batting leadoff. Right, the only thing about him is, that, you know, he's not going to be, get if he gets on base, he's not going to be stealing basis and well nobody else is stealing right bases. the orioles they don't they don't steal bases the orioles they're shouldn't steal bases because they're bad at it and in fact andrew knows this better than most because his latest article that got published on espn.com which is pretty awesome dealt with base running in general yeah. so andrew if you want to run down your your findings for the non-insiders of the world well, I'll just I'll, I'll sort of summarize because um, uh, you know you should get insider. It, it it's not that expensive and there's so many good writers. I had it even before I was just given it for free. Um, the the gist of it is uh, at Baseball Info Solutions we measure base running in a bunch of different ways. Um, there's just counting up number of times runners are going first to third on singles or second to home on singles or first to home on singles or doubles. And then we also count up, obviously, stolen bases, uh, moving up on uh, fly ball outs or uh, sacrifice flies or or even box defensive indifference wild pitches Um, and and among many other things. the Orioles, by by our measurements, are the worst base running team in all of baseball so far this year. And really, what's interesting is it's not any of the like complicated stuff, like they don't go first to third, or they make too many outs, or they don't get pitchers to balk enough, or, or anything like that. Um, it's they hit into so many double plays that. They're just erasing tons of base runners. They have, uh, I think, a th- about a 300 on base percentage as a team. And even with that's a very low number, and even with that few base runners, they're still scoring a lot fewer of them than they should because so many of them are getting thrown out, caught stealing, 
or getting doubled up on on double plays. Yeah, the Orioles have grounded into 89 double plays on the That's season. That's absurd. That's the most. It in is the most in baseball, and most teams in baseball have like 20 few. Like it looks like the the uh, the median point here is about 66. So the Orioles have about 23 more ground into double plays than, you know, the quote-unquote average major league team, which is, I mean, like you said, when they're when they're on base percentage is as low as it is to begin with, it was 303 uh, as a team entering today, Sunday's game, where, of course, that certainly didn't, that didn't go up when they only got six guys on base in the whole game against Justin Verlander and then the one inning of Jose Valverde. So I think there was a statistic, it might have been a month ago, John Shepard of Camden Depot posted on Twitter that was something like like 13% of base runners that the Orioles have gotten that reached first have been erased on double plays. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really absurd. How you know, I don't happens. even know exactly what the cause of that is. Um, because, like, I think J.J. Hardy has the most double plays. He was near the top. I don't know if he's at the top. You know, that's that's really unusual. Um, And double plays aren't necessarily bad. It doesn't mean you're automatically bad at everything because you hit into a lot of double plays. Because, for instance, last season, the team that had the most double plays was the St. Louis Cardinals, who grounded into 169 double plays last year. Of course, the Orioles were second highest with 154 last year. But the Cardinals had a pretty good offense uh, as a team last year. They batted 273 with a 341 on base and a 425 slugging percentage. And that's that's one of the best offenses in baseball right there. But they, yeah. so, you know. Yeah, I think we had the Cardinals as the worst base running team last year and the Rangers as the best. And it's, it's amusing because they both obviously got to the World Series. So the, this base running stuff, I mean, you can get away with having a really bad base running team. And uh, I think this specific number that I looked at, um, the Orioles have lost 15 runs uh, again, uh, compared to just what an average base running team would do uh, with the same number of base runners that they get. So that's like a win and a half if you use the... Uh, the rule of thumb that 10 runs is a win. But you can get away with that if you do a bunch of other stuff really well because for the whole team, a win and a half is it's just not that much is, is what it comes down to. But unfortunately, uh, with, with Baltimore, they just... <laughs> they, they do two things really well and they do everything else really poorly. And, and those two things are hit home runs and they have a really good bullpen, and, and that's it. That's all they have. I mean, you want to talk about guys clogging up the base paths. That's like everybody on the Orioles who's not, you know, remotely fast. Like, just all the guys who can get on there, and they're just, you know, big, strong guys, and they're not going to be fast. Like, Chris Davis, Jim Tomey, certainly not going to be fast. Matt Wieters, Wilson yeah. Betamit, Mark uh, Reynolds. You know, Robert Andino, who you would think, well, he's young, and... He looks fast. Right, you just think he's young. He's kind of small. He's got to be fast, right? Cause but he's terrible. He's, he's, he's a middle infielder. He's got to be fast. It's like Cesaris Torres has to be fast too, right? Um, you know, even the guys they have. Adam Jones is, is a pretty good base runner, and everybody else is, is pretty poor at it. And it's really frustrating to look at their stat line and be like, Chris Davis is Oh, for three on steel. Why does he have three? Yeah, that's Why the frustrating thing. Exactly. Like one, I can sort of understand. Like you're like, well, let's just try this. You never know. But then like three, it's like, well, were you really surprised by that outcome? All right, Chris Davis. Of course, he's going to get thrown out if he's stealing a base. He's Chris Davis. Right. As good as he is as a relief pitcher, he's not. He's equally not good as a. Uh, but base yeah. Again. Like, the Orioles don't need to go out and and find somebody who can steal a bunch of bases, or they don't need to call Xavier Avery back up. He was doing really well at this, too. What they need is on base percentage. (laughs) They just need more base runners. Right, if guys can, you know, get on base instead of ground into double plays, that would would help a lot. So, you know, 
this this is a team. It's a team with a bunch of holes. That's nothing new. Um, it's just the depth of all of those holes might be surprising. Well, there you go. We finally found where the Orioles have depth, and the depth is in the holes <laughs> in the problems. team. So at long last, uh, we've we've discovered that. So I feel like that was a that was a productive revelation right there. Well, you know, um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to me to see how they try and fill in some of these holes during the trade deadline period that we're, you know, that's only got, what, another two weeks on it before the uh, non-waiver trade deadline hits. Right. July the 31st is a little over two weeks from as we're talking here. And, Andrew, we were talking a little bit about this before we hit the record button. And basically, I think the Orioles had better not be buying. Yeah. Because well, you're not going to find any disagreement from me, for sure. Right. I mean, we, we can't manufacture a disagreement there because we both feel the same thing. But Yeah, it's not as simple as, oh, Peter Angelos needs to open up the wallet and go get Zach Grinke. And I'm sure there will be people out there arguing that exact thing, or Cole right. Hamels or something. Oh, you got to just empty the farm for this guy and sign him to an extension. Like, no. How about no? Because, you know, the Orioles are more than one guy away, even this year. Even with the banked wins that they've gotten. They're just, they're, they, they need more than one dude. And you sell the whole farm for a guy who's pre agent in two months. You're going to find some unhappy people in my household. So my prediction is that the Orioles will not really buy any big names. And if they upgrade, it'll kind of be on the margins for cheap in the same vein like, as trading for Jim Tomei. And I don't know what kind of on-the-margin players are out there, but, you know. Jason Vargas. Right, like, that's Andrew, I was so desperate over that All-Star break that I wrote about Jason Vargas trade rumors. I really hated it. that makes total sense. I hated myself afterwards. I, that, I really did. You know, somebody framed it really amusingly to me, where it's like, oh, the Orioles were looking at Zach Greinke. And then they were looking at Matt Garza. And, uh... Then they decided to look at Jason Barton. Well, you forgot Wandy Rodriguez in that oh, regression. Yeah, I don't know if Wandy Rodriguez is above or below Matt Garza on the level there. It's like, that's that's exactly right. That, that perfectly encapsulates the, uh, the July the Orioles have been having, in terms of just news coming out of the front office. Well, I mean, that happens with the Orioles. When everybody else is playing in the big pool and the Orioles are just, you know, splashing around the little tiny inflatable pool. Well, I mean, what can they do? Right. You know, you want Zach Greinke. Great, great. Who doesn't want Zach Greinke? Who can't afford Zach Greinke, though? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just remember in the off season, it was like the same day that Detroit finalized they were signing Prince Fielder. It was like the Orioles signed Wilson Bettemeet. Something. It was something like that. It might yeah. not have been Bettemeet. But, it, it might have been. Um, I don't. I don't think it was Fielder at the same time as Pettamy. I think it was maybe. Pujols. Maybe it was Pujols. You're right. It, it was one of those guys. But yeah, you know, the day the Yankees signed Mark Teixeira, the Orioles signed Mark Hendrickson. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you got the Mark connection going on there. Hey, Mark Hendrickson was pretty good. Mark is a good uh, name. Okay. He, he's. <laughs> Mark Hendrickson. That's an eighty name. All right. <laughs> That's that's eighty on the on the twenty eight. Twenty to eighty scouting scale, yep. Um he you know, he was helpful. Just if you're thinking about things just in terms of public relations, you do not look like you're playing the same game when when it's oh yeah, some other team's gonna trade for Cole Hamels and right, we're gonna right. they're playing for- Star Trek chess and you're playing Go Fish. Yeah. Whatever Star Trek chess is. Well, the three-dimensional? Nah, never mind. I really I got nothing. All right. Well, now that I've swung and missed on a nerdy reference there, I'll just move right along. So we wanted to look ahead to the Twins series that is upcoming because one thing that I found interesting about the Twins, and it, it is frustrating as an Orioles fan, is we might remember from earlier in the season when Jake Arrieta opened up with a great game against the Twins, and everybody was like, well, let's wait and see how he does against real offenses. A team that's this, not full of AAA hitters. Well, it turns out not good, but 
the the point that I wanted to make there is the assumption was that the Twins just have an absolutely terrible offense, is what everybody was just acting like early in the season. So brace yourself because that that Twins offense that we mocked as below AAA level or whatever, they have. They have a 20 points better batting average than the Orioles and 23 points better on on-base percentage. So, so yeah. you know, whoa. So, I mean, well, That's the Orioles' offense is worse than we expected, and apparently the Twins is a little bit better. But just just consider that before you make fun of the Twins. Uh, they're, they're getting on-base much better than the Orioles are. In fact, that's in the top third, I think, is a 326 as a team. And the Orioles are in the bottom five. So, you know, not so good for the Orioles that that's the case. But the the biggest problem for the Twins had been their starting pitching. Because as a team, their starter ERA is 5-7-1 this season. So that's pretty bad. As much as the Orioles have struggled with that this year, they're a full run better than that. But we don't want to get carried away thinking, well, that means the Twins pitchers right now are all bad because, much like the Orioles, they have cycled out their crappy and ineffective starters, and they're uh, throwing some guys to the Wolves pretty much. So the matchup we're going to see in Monday's game, Chris Tillman is starting for the Orioles, and the Twins is somebody named Scott Diamond, who I honestly had never heard of more than an hour ago, but... He's a 25-year-old lefty, and he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. So I think we all know where this is going, (laughs) and it's not going to be good. No, but Scott Diamond has made 12 starts this year. He's thrown 79 innings, so he's he's going more than six. That's pretty good. And he's got a 262 ERA, so uh, that doesn't suck. I don't know who he's really been pitching against. A lot of National League teams, it looks like, and uh, as a fluke of the, you know, the schedule. But he hasn't done awful, and now he's going to face the Orioles, who are really, really bad at hitting, and many other things. So, what'll happen? I don't know. And of course, Chris Tillman is another question because. Oh, so that's I thought you were going to say uh, when Jake Arrieta beat up the Twins, and we're like, oh, let's just wait and see what he does against a real lineup. I thought you were going to go right into Chris Tillman. Yeah, well, who, Chris... Who beat up the Mariners. Chris and, Tillman did beat up the Mariners, who also not a real lineup, and then went yeah. down to double-A and gave up, like, three runs in three and a third innings. So, again, that's another what-will-he-do-against-a-real-lineup thing. Uh, but, I mean, it turns out the Twins don't have uh, supremely crappy hitters this year. There's a few guys that are doing... Surprisingly well, as we as we pause looking at the starting rotation, and number one, Josh Willingham. Like, what the heck is this? Josh Willingham has 22 home runs. He's got a 382 on base percentage, 567 slugging percentage. That's, dang, I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> this is the guy who, in the second game of the season, I was sitting in the uh, left field stands, and he was getting heckled into oblivion, and he made like two errors in that game. But I guess he's... Uh, He's refocused from that disastrous second game of the season and hitting a lot of dingers, bombs and what have you. Because 22 home runs, that's pretty good. Not only does he have 22 home runs, but he has 21 doubles, so he's also getting power that way. I I like Josh Willingham when he was on the Nats. And, uh, you know, he's been kind of an underrated, little thought of, but, but... Pretty solid guy for a while. Um, went to Oakland. Not, not probably not a very good fit for him with that big ballpark. Cavernous. Odatco yeah. Mausoleum. I mean Coliseum. Although they say uh, Target Field is supposed to to be a little intimidating to hitters too. Oh, so, is that right? I know. guess all that cold Minnesota air in most of the year will depress ah. the fly balls. I don't know. I think people. You could find somebody who could say one thing and than just say another thing about the same park. Well, Andrew, that's really the core of baseball commentary, isn't it? You can find people who can say one thing and other people right. can say and, another thing. And everybody can sound pretty convincing yeah. at the same time. But, uh, yeah, he's he's been good, and now he's having like his big career year. And, 
it's really too bad for the Twins that it had to happen when they're having such a bad season. Right. It, it is effectively doesn't matter, but, you know, it's good to have that guy on your team and you can be excited. Hey, Josh Willingham has 22 home runs. Just like we're all excited that Adam Jones has 20 home runs. Well, plus, you know, this is how you build up sort of trade value. It's not, you know, like we will joke around like, oh, the Orioles should, you know, play this guy more often and build up that trade value for a week. Kevin Gregg. Right. Like nobody's going to be fooled by like you doing something for a week. You build up trade value by this guy had a career year last year and he's having a good year this year and he's got another year on his contract. Now you trade him. Well, maybe the Orioles should trade for Josh. Where there's a little bit of a track in left field. Yeah, I I don't know if the Twins are going down that path yet because I think he signed a three-year contract. I think which this is only the first. Well, so. But you know, next year now they have a commodity because he's having such a good year this year. So none of it's wasted. You know, there's there's very little that happens in baseball that a good front office. can do nothing with, I guess. And other hitters on the Twins that are having not-so-bad seasons themselves are Joe Maurer. He's actually having a pretty pretty nice season. Not so much with the power and home runs, because he only has five. But he's batting three twenty eight, got a four sixteen on-base percentage. Anytime you're over that four hundred, I just kind of yeah, get... I kind of swoon a little bit. <laughs> um, so he's only slugging four forty seven with that. So that's not a lot of power, but if you're getting on base more than 40% of the time, I mean, you're you're having a good year at the plate. I don't care what else is going on. Um, yep. Other other guys on the roster, and all of the guys I'm about to name have more on have a higher on base percentage than any player on the Orioles. Just period. Well, anyone with significant playing time, because you know, uh, yeah, Taylor Taylor Teagarden has a has a fairly high on base percentage right now, for instance. But uh, so the Twins also have. Denard Spann, who's batting 278 with a 340 on base. And again, he's not got a high slugging, but he's just, you know, a little fast guy. So whatever. Uh, ben Revere batting 317 with 349 on base. Ryan Dumit with 289 batting average and 344 on base percentage. And that's five guys, counting Mauer and Willingham, that have all played in, well, four of those five guys have all played in 70 or more games. And Ben Revere has played in 53 games. And then there's Trevor Plouffe, who has 19 Trevor home Plouffe. runs, slugging 536. What did you tell me? He had 10 home runs, period, before this year, and now he's got 19? Yeah. This year, and he, he hasn't even matched how many career plate appearances he had up to, up to this point. Yeah, last year he had 8 in 81 games, 320 plate appearances. This year he has 19 in 263 plate appearances. So yeah. Trevor that's, Plouffe, that's some another, nice power. Another guy who's having not too shabby year over there. And again, this is the lineup that we mocked as, well, let's see what they do against a real team. And, uh, well, I mean, the Twins aren't exactly in the playoff hunt, but they have some guys who are surprisingly doing decent at hitting. So let's not just dismiss them all as, uh, you know, as terrible. Because maybe they're not really that bad. Some of them, anyway. I don't know. But moving on to some of the other starting matchups, and all of these, like I, I have my hands in my in my forehead right now. I I just look at it and I'm just <laughs> shaking my head because. Well, it's hard to know what to say. Right, it, it, it's, it, the potential for agony is just so great, and so so Tuesday we're going to see the first start of the year for Zach Britton, and we've talked on this podcast before. Who knows what you're going to get out of Zach Britton? Just there's no way to know because he's. He had a little shoulder issue, and hopefully that's cleared up. And then he went to AAA and had, like, nearly a 5 ERA in AAA. So mm. what are you going to get from this guy at the major league level? How are you supposed to have any idea what he's going to do? I mean, you could say, oh, I'm sorry, he made an eighth start, and now he has a 4.15 ERA. So I guess he had a good last start before his call-up. So that's, but, you know, moral I thing. I mean, right? it's so hard to, you know, like... Shoulder thing, AAA, the AAA defenses. He's obviously only up because everybody else is hurt. Right, it's not like he's forcing his way up where he's just like shutting out lineups every night and you're like, okay, 
here's a young guy with promise. He's lighting up AAA. We got to get him in here. But, you know, he's up because everyone else was so abysmal, just terrible, that, yeah. you know, they had to make a move. And since they had to make a move, well, Zach Britton is the guy they look at. It's really unfortunate that that's what it comes down to. But, you know, this is another opportunity. And, uh, you know, we're quickly, unfortunately, approaching the point where the Orioles need some of these guys to, to start showing something. And I think, obviously, Tillman and Britton, because they're younger and haven't played nearly as much as, like, Jake Arrieta or Brian Mattis um, at the major league level. Right. But, you know, it, it, it's starting to feel a little bit like the Orioles need to start thinking about trying to build around Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gooseman and, and Manny Machado. And so and, we kick the can down the curve another couple right. of years. But, you know, this is, this is an opportunity for Zach Britton to, to be a part of that. So I never actually finished forming this thought when we were talking about the trade deadline, but my, my trade deadline... Well, that does happen. I know it does, doesn't it? Yeah. My, my trade deadline <laughs> prediction is that the Orioles will maybe upgrade on the margins, and they will also not sell because they can't kind of they can't, they can't raise yeah. the white flag. And, I mean, Andrew, we were at that game on Saturday. The, the, ta- the announced attendance was something like 43,215. People are coming out to the ballpark this year, and yeah. that's good. I mean, it's it it's it's fun to be at Camden Yards with the, the you know, the house being packed. But so they can't they can't just give up when people are showing up, which may end up happening if they go into a tailspin over the last month anyway. But you know they got to squeeze uh, as much as they can out of people being excited about the hot start. Which you know, part of running a baseball team is that that kind of business side of things. So yeah, I mean it is entertainment even if the Orioles aren't going to uh, maintain their place in this uh, playoff hunt for the wild card spot. Uh, there's still entertainment to, to sell. So that is the business. So, I mean, there's not really anybody they're going to sell off. I don't think not at the major league level anyway. And I just feel like if they buy anything, it's going to again, be along the lines of Jim Tomei. Yeah. Well, right. Cause what can they afford? Like, I mean, I don't think Andino's injury was serious, but for instance, that would be another like marginal guy they would try and get, or you know, somebody to play left field, or you know, just it's going to be marginally better fielding than Chris Davis, and who knows what they would then do with Chris Davis? I don't know. Well, yeah, it's just it's too bad because there's a bunch of guys who, uh, like Jason Hamill, who's having a career year, is like your traditional sell high guy. And now he's hurt, so disabled maybe they can't list. Sell him anyway. So yeah, if they're committed to trying to stay in the race, they can't sell him anyway, too. And then there's guys like Mark Reynolds, who's having a pretty bad year, but is in the last year of a contract, and you would traditionally try and move him for something, anything, just to get a return on investment there. Um, well, especially since he's part of the logjam of positional right. things exactly. on the team right exactly. now, so. You know, that, that would be selling off from the surplus. And then, as weird as it is to sell Jim Tomey when you just bought him, he's kind of another guy who, you know, he's on a one-year contract. He can probably help a team somewhere. But, you know, if, if the Orioles think it's in their best interest to keep all these guys and, and see what they can do and see if they can't put it back together and get hot again for another month, then... I guess who am I to argue? Right. But uh, yeah, it is, I just don't, it is I don't too bad. It feels like a lost opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially when there's just there's just so many holes. Like, just J.J. Hardy right now, for instance, is such a black hole. It's really unfortunate to watch. I mean, he has to be dealing with some kind of injury that he's just not, you know, he's trying to tough it through. and He's still playing good defense, though, interestingly enough. Yeah. He's doing good out there in the field, but at the plate, it's really, really... Ugh. Although that game tying 13th inning home run on Saturday is mammoth, pretty mammoth exciting less. stuff. So you know, whatever. Even if you're not having a good year, you can have your one moment of glory. So now that I've gotten sidetracked again, the, the, the player Zach Britton is going to face the twin starter. His name Samuel Digino, which Digino. is spelled D-E-D-U-N-O. 
But Andrew swears to me it's pronounced Digino, so I hope he's not, Sam Digino. I hope he's not uh, not pulling my leg here and making me look stupid. <laughs> That'd be really good. But not, I wish not I had be unprecedented on the course of this podcast me looking stupid. But so so he's made one major league start. So again, we know how that's going to go. Although the difference is he's a right-hander. So well, I saw him. Um, he pitched for the Rochester Red Wings against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs yeah. not too long ago. So I got to go see him in person. Did he have a good game? Well, he did, sort of. Um, I was actually thinking, this may sound a little racist. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean it to be. But he reminded me of Radimus Liz uh, because he is Dominican. Um, but he had sort of that gangly... Uh, power to him, I suppose, where, it, you know, I would look up at the radar gun readings and they'd say like 93 and I'd be like, he's got to be throwing harder than that. Cause it just like everything looked much harder than, than what it was actually coming out. Um, Radimus Liz, I wanted him to be good so bad. Cause I was going to call him Nostradamus. <laughs> I was already plans. Of I know, it, just, it just didn't work out. And it, it was very unfortunate. But, uh, you know, he, he was sort of cruising. He, he racked up a, a big bucket load of strikeouts in the first, like, four innings against... The Iron Pigs are not a good offensive team. They're, they're actually pretty terrible. But he was still getting a ton of Ks. And then it looked like he just hit the wall in, like, the fifth inning. Started walking guys. Uh, he let the Iron Pigs back in the game a little bit. Um and I was thinking, like, this guy, he's, like, 26 or 27 or so. He's actually so 29. He just turned 20, 29 well, okay. on July the 2nd. I'm looking um, at his bio right now. He, so he, he's not a prospect. Like, he came up with the Rockies and I think the Phillies – or not the Phillies. Um, the Twins signed him as a minor league free agent. But, you know, he looked like, why is this guy down here trying to start when he could be, like, a power – relief pitcher because that's what he looked like to me yeah just get him to throw one inning and come in with like 97 mile an hour plus heat yeah that he, um, he maybe can't locate sometimes in the vein of right. you know pedro strope or something yeah you know that that's our arm can play you you can find a use for it if if he can harness the power of that arm yeah but uh you know, I end up thinking half the time when I'm watching one of these minor league games, like, what's this guy doing down here? He should go up to the big leagues and be a relief pitcher. So, did you know is starting on Tuesday? There's a, yeah, there's so, an Abbott and Costello so joke in there somewhere, I think. But um, so Britain versus did you know? And now you know. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, okay. I think I have to go and never do this podcast. Oh yeah. man, I can't help myself sometimes. I apologize to everyone out there. Uh, it it won't that it was, won't be the last time. That was really brutal. so. So the Wednesday matchup, and this is actually even more brutal than the joke I just made. It's going to be Tommy Hunter versus Francisco Liriano. Although actually Boy, Liriano is not having a good year, so that helps. Yeah, that might be a, a barn burner. That might be a take the over degenerate like, gamblers kind yeah. of game. Although the over under will be very high on its own, but Liriano actually has a 4.93 ERA this year. It looks like he got demoted to the bullpen for a little while because not all of his uh, games are starts. And, well, he's walking guys like it's going out of style. is probably his biggest problem this year. Liriano with 51 walks in 91 and a third innings. But uh, that might not hurt him against the Orioles because they don't walk. So, you know, it might not matter. It will be another interesting uh, rock meets hard place. Right, sort the of, the uh, stoppable force versus the movable object. Yeah, there you go. Kind there of situation go. for sure. And so again, five runs all on Tommy Hunter is currently, at this moment, expected to be the starter in that game, barring some kind of surprise situation. Now, Liriano, he's had like a bunch of arm problems, right? Yes. Um, like he had shoulder stuff last year. I feel like I think he missed Tommy 2007 because of Tommy John's surgery. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so you know, control. That's definitely going to be an issue. Oh, but he has 97 strikeouts in those 91 and. Oh yeah, I mean so, the stuff is great. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of that's 
kind of the pitcher I thought Jake Arrieta was going to be, where the stuff is really good. He just cannot command it or control it. And, you know, that is true of Jake Arrieta. But the problems have manifested a little bit differently for these two guys. So that's an interesting matchup. That's Wednesday. And it's actually a four-game series. So Thursday is going to be Wei Yin Chen going for the Orioles. And you know he's just so broken up because he didn't get the win in that Saturday night game, Andrew. I don't know how he's gonna. I don't know how he's gonna endure. He didn't get the win because Ryan Flaherty made a really horrible play. Really, third. really bad. And we should hold that play against Wei Yin Chen forever. Yep. Forever. He just doesn't know how to win. Yeah. And and Jim Johnson does not know how to not blow a save. Just just in case anyone can't detect sarcasm in our deadpan voices there yeah. be aware we're not being there's serious. such stupid ways of judging pitchers like i i keep hearing you know like oh this guy hasn't won in like four starts or whatever it's like so <laughs> tell me why or you know cliff lee has about as many wins as uh Chris you Davis. Know, i actually i wanted cliff lee to just go winless all year just to prove a point yeah that doesn't matter that's that, that, it's totally besides the point so Wei Yin Chen will be facing Cole DeVries. Maybe it's DeVries. I don't know. But anyway, he's made six starts at the major league level. 437 ERA. What can you say about that? I don't know. Well, I can tell you that he's given up nine home runs in 35 innings, so maybe that's a good sign for the Orioles. Wow, that's a lot of home runs. They must have all been solo home runs. That is is another movable object meets the uh, resistible force. But well, no, not the resistible force, but sort of the unstoppable force. Yeah, though. So, so uh, that actually looks like a good matchup for the Orioles, if there's, if there's, can be said to be one in this whole series. And you see uh, Jim Jam returning to Minnesota. Oh yeah, that'll be an emotional, re- uh, emotional reunion for him, I'm sure, or not. I don't yeah. know. Some some pretty good years up there. Maybe he'll mash some taters there, since he hasn't done it in Camden Yards yet. We can dream. So Boy. he can break that tie with Sammy Sosa so people will stop bringing it up every friggin' broadcast when he comes to the plate. I do really love this uh, this aging Hall of Fame DH that is generally really likable that the Orioles bring on who then goes on to not ever do anything for him. It's my favorite thing about the Orioles. Who will it be next year? Will it be? God, I cannot wait to find out. Yeah, it's it's like... You know, what's finding out what's the prize behind door number three? You know, I, I still am disappointed that, that Andy McPhail didn't stick around and sign Jonathan Papelon. It, well, there's I'm no sure doubt it would have happened if, if Andy McPhail was still there. You know it. <laughs> no, I, I don't think he would have done that. Not even he would have gone. He does Not even he would have eaten that Ruben Amara Jr., signed him to the contract under the old CBA when, like, six days later they – got rid of the draft pick compensation. Well, it was the same thing with Jim Tomey. Ruben Amaro Jr. signed him like on November the 3rd. He, he did. We talked about this on the podcast before. He got signed before Dan Duquette was even hired. So he wasn't even on the market for the Orioles to look. Probably even before the Orioles sort of became a laughing stock with that whole, you know, before uh, Jerry DePoto turned him down. Uh, I don't remember the exact dates of that down. thing. I've tried to block it from my memory. Sean Watson turned him down. And... Everybody turned him down. Yeah. Tony LaCava, the LaCavalry, did not arrive. That just that kills you, doesn't it? No. Yeah. It does. It does. It it does. Totally You're right, because I would have I would have had fodder for headlines for a long time. Oh, I was telling my mom this morning. Uh, I bet. Every single headline writer in in Baltimore was just waiting on edge for Taylor Teagarden to do something really good. Yeah, well, Stacy, that's like a with T for two, right? So, I don't know what everybody else wrote because what's worth reading out there? I don't know. Uh, I think uh, like my mom was reading the York Daily Record or the York Dispatch. Uh, out of York, Pennsylvania, and I think the headline was like um, like tea time for the Tigers or or something like that. Ah, uh, all right. Well, that was pretty but exciting stuff. That was that was awesome. That was, it's fun. I, I really like. Uh, do you know about the the win expectancy graphs that Fangraphs does? Yes. 
the most, I, I, the I, most I, fun to look at on that one is the uh, the Orioles coming back from the massive deficit against the Red Sox. Oh yeah. 30th, 2009. I think that's the most fun win expectancy graph yeah. I've ever looked at. This this one was really good. What it is, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, is uh, Fangraphs is the stats website. Um, they provide live scores, which, in fact, uh, are, are coming from the BIS feeds. It's a live feed from, from Baseball Info Solutions that uh, they take the current game state and they assume that the two teams are sort of generic teams. Um, and then they figure out, okay, if they were generic teams, what are the odds that each of them would win that game from this game state? So, like, at the top of the first, before the first batter's done anything, um, it's at 50%. It is 50% for uh, the Orioles to win, 50% for the Tigers to win. Um, and then... In the ninth inning, when it started and the Orioles were winning by three, it was like 95% for the Orioles to win. And then when the Tigers tied it back up and it went into the tenth, it was down to 50%. So, Heart rate monitor going on there. Yeah, this one, it, it went all the way like up to 95 for the Orioles and then all the way down to like 5% for the Orioles when they fell behind and then back to 50 and then back down to 5 and then all the way up with with Taylor T. Gardens and J.J. Uh, Hardy's home runs in the 13th. So it's it's an interesting way of, of looking at a game and, and thinking about like the probabilities of things. But it, it is, unfortunately, uh, assuming like generic teams. So like, you know, if it's the Yankees playing the Royals, the Yankees have a little bit better than 50% chance at the start. Tiny bit. Right. But, you know, it's just a different way of looking at things. And, and, Saturday's game was pretty fun to be at, and then it was fun to sort of relive with with all the fun Taylor Teagarden headlines and the Fangraphs win expectancy chart. And that game took four hours and 43 minutes, but perhaps since it started at 4 o'clock, the majority of the fans were still there at the end, too, which was also cool. Very I cool. would say probably at least 30 of the 43,000 were still there at the end, so that made it even more fun to just celebrate at the end there. So as we, as we group towards getting our final thoughts, just a little plug action. Remember, you can follow Andrew on Twitter. He's at GibsonAndrew, and I am at EatMore, S-K-E-S-S-K-A-Y, like the hot dogs, because you can taste the difference quality makes, which I never fail to get a hot dog at Oreo Park, except I didn't on Saturday. Because well, well, that sort of kills you. I didn't, because Thanks. I went to get one, and they were 10 minutes away from being ready. And I was like, I got to get back out there and watch this game. I can't go halfway around the stadium looking for generic SK hot dogs. So I was thwarted in my goal. I so, went to so Saturday for me, it was eat more super pretzel more than eat more SK. <laughs> but anyway, you can follow Camden Chat on Twitter, which is uh, auto posts of our articles. And Stacy, when the bobblehead factory uh, lets her out to comment on things, is just at Camden Chat. And then... Look us up on Facebook also, facebook.com slash Camden Chat, because we're there, and sometimes we link to our articles on there, and maybe one day we'll get people to post on there. I don't know. Whatever. Or you can post on camdenchat.com, which is even better, because we're awesome. No, but seriously, Andrew, final thought for the Orioles. Go. Uh, well, you know, we were talking uh, back on June the 7th that they are – at that point, they were entering a huge stretch of games where they weren't facing the AL East even once. Uh, they had just lost to the Red Sox, and then they were going to go up until July the 24th, which is next week now, without facing any AL East teams. And, um, you know, I'm certainly not the type of guy who's, who's going to talk you down if you want to complain about the unbalanced schedule. I don't know what, what your thoughts are exactly on the unbalanced schedule. My thoughts but, would actually have to be beeped out, I think. Yeah, well, there you go. So. It's, it's, it's like saying Kevin Gregg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in that stretch, uh, the Orioles have not capitalized, unfortunately. Um, right now, I believe they are three games under 500 since June the 7th, although my math may be wrong. I, you know, that happens. Um, so they have another eight games. 
And at that point, the Orioles were what, like two games behind New York or something like that? And now they're eight games behind, and the last place team in the AL East is nine and a half games behind. So the the second through fourth, all within one and a half games right there. They are second through fifth, excuse me. When they they should have been getting fat and sort of running with the Yankees, instead, you know, they had a bad series against the Mets. They had a bad series against the Angels. Right, it really all started going down with that Mets series because they had the back-to-back shutouts against the Braves, and then we're on the wrong end of back-to-back shutouts against the Mets, and then just down, 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 down. They didn't have Nick Markakis for that time, and you know that was right when Jake Arrieta was running at the very end of his rope, and so on and so on. And yeah, so I think on. I looked it up this morning, and the Orioles they had a five to nothing win. Shut out the Braves on June the 16th, and since then they're like eight and 15, and they have not won any of those eight games by more than two runs. Yeah, so they really need to start playing better, and uh, I, I very much would like to see them stick with it uh, for a while yet in the in the playoff race. Um, but their schedule gets a lot harder once we get to next week. So. This week, these next eight games, Indians, Twins, uh, they need to uh, bring it. So, yeah, or at least not keep up, failing and, you know, split the eight games on the road. That would be okay, too. Yeah, you know, Buck Showalter keeps talking about how this is the dog days of summer. This is when the, the men get separated from the boys. And he's totally right. It is this week. This week is must-win games. Yeah, well, I guess we're about to find out whether the Orioles are the 14-year-old who's grown all the way or whether the Orioles are the 14-year-old who's about to grow, like, 10 inches in two years. Yeah, yeah. So my final thought, Andrew, I actually have to apologize to you because this is your favorite player in the world, and I'm bringing him up. Uh, LJ Hose. Hose. I just want to mention him. I don't I don't personally have a strong opinion about whether the Orioles need to find room for him on the major league roster or not. But he's played 38 games for Norfolk this year. He's got an 848 OPS. He's batting 322. He's getting on base at a 375 clip. He's slugging 473, although only two home runs. It's mostly doubles, doubles uh, power and speed, and then a couple triples. Three triples, in fact. So that's pretty good numbers there and i mean it's well, only over 38 games at the triple a yeah. level but right. that's a you know that's a nice step forward for lj hose who had kind of been forgotten except except in your heart andrew going uh, going into this season well the, the question for him has has been since you know he was playing in frederick basically. can he find a position where he can hit well enough to justify being there because apparently he couldn't stick at second. Yeah, and that's really too bad because the Orioles could use a second base. That would base. play at second base, yeah. yeah. Even, you know, being at a lower but, level at Major League. I mean, so, you can't... The Orioles certainly can't afford to put another player out there in a position where he's terrible, especially in the infield. Right. <laughs> because they're sort of running low on guys who are any good out there. They're, they're all, yeah, they've already run through that. We've seen that story before. But uh, L.J. Hose is definitely coming to Baltimore at some point. Yeah, he might sure. get a September appearance this year, maybe, or oh. next year. Who knows? But Yeah, he's awesome. So, so, so remember L.J. Hose, because he'll probably appear sooner or later, and he deserves it at the current moment. So that's cool for him, and I'm excited to get to see him. Cause I'm so excited. I'm excited because Andrew's excited. He's yeah. He's, he's a big LJ Hose fan. Perhaps well, the number one. Were you was. there? The uh, the one, the Keys playoff game that a bunch of us went to. No, I did not go to that. Uh, a couple other people, Knubbles and Bits. Um, it was that was a really nuts game. It was like like seven to nothing going into the bottom of the first inning, and then it was seven to seven going into the top of the second inning, and then. Uh, I think the Keys took the lead at some point and then blew the save in the ninth inning. And then LJ Hose scored the winning run from first on a bunt, like a sack bunt attempt that uh, the Potomac Nationals threw away a couple times. And, and LJ Hose got to show off his wheels a little bit. So he's got some uh, instincts. LJ Hose! You know, perhaps... Uh, Certain Orioles speedster wannabes in the past have failed to have baseball instincts and, and bombed out and are now playing for the 
Braves Triple A team, for example, not naming anybody. No, not that we would single anybody out for that kind of thing. So, so there we go, LJ Hose, and that's my final thought. And we're at the end of our generally allotted time. Not that we have a hard allotted time, but we like to limit ourselves so we don't just talk forever. So, hey, this was a surprise podcast. It is a surprise podcast. So this is like a bonus for your Monday morning afternoon office slacking or wherever people listen to this podcast or whatever. By the way, we do like feedback for the podcast. So if you could yes. leave a comment on our thread on camdenchat.com for this podcast, yeah. if you have any thoughts whatsoever, even if it's just, hey, you guys are doing great, uh, that is definitely appreciated for us. So keep that in mind. And that is all we have for this evening, July the 15th, although you'll listen on the 16th, 2012. We will be back the same time next week, as far as we know. And uh, for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.